0: Welcome to another edition of The Skyhook. I am your host, James K, and right now you are listening to the podcast version of the show. If you want to contact anyone involved with the show, you can always do so at the Mailbag at gmail.com, or you can tweet at me, and my handle is James underscore M underscore K A Y. Or you can also tweet at the show's Twitter, which is, well, the handle for that is at skyhookin'. Folks, this was a really fun show to do. I had a fun conversation with Chris Pennett, who does some work with Regal Radio. And we actually worked at the same sports blog for a little bit. We didn't even know it um, at the time. But, um, yeah, we had a good conversation. We didn't get a chance to talk about last night's game, Sky Liberty, which was an absolute bloodbath. But we didn't talk about it because we recorded it yesterday night during the game. Um Yes, we'll see some similar themes in our conversation about last night's game, honestly. It feels like it covers it. Just can't believe the Sky need to claw back in every game they win, you know. I feel like this team just hasn't reached its ceiling, but we're going to see it soon, I hope. But I'll let our, me and Chris's conversation carry my opinions the rest of the way with this. So without further ado, Mike, cue the intro. So, Chris, the Sky's bench all season, I mean, they've just been tearing it up. I mean, they are fourth in the league in bench points per game. And, I mean, they lead a balanced attack of, like, front court players that can bang down low or just, like, the, they have those nifty guards that can attack the rim at any point. However, I kind of wonder with this team that, like, I wonder how long that they can go without some of the starters consistently reaching their potential this season. And I don't know, with all that said, do you think that... This method of, of like relying on the bench so heavily, can that be sustained the rest of the way as they try to make a playoff push? I think so.
1: Ultimately, uh, the, the people you have coming off the bench are still relatively young players. Uh, Cheyenne Parker's in her, I believe, third season. It's got to be William's second. Uh, Kalia Copper's been in the league for, I believe, three, either three or four seasons. And those players, it's not like they have a ton of mileage on their odometer. Now, we all know that WNBA players are playing overseas, so they're basically on a year-long schedule, so they're going to have a lot more playing time with a lot more travel than if you would compare them to other pro players. But in terms of just in this league at this level of competition, they have not put in a ton of time on the floor. So it's not like they're going to wear down at the end of the season. The, the, difficult, the difficult thing is is that the Sky really do need their starters to be successful to win. There's a lot of teams that can lead a balanced attack. But I think just throughout the WNBA, teams need those those top five or top even three or four players to hit on most nights, if not every night, for their teams to be successful, uh, you, if you look at the, the Mystics, have probably six or seven players who could crack a starting lineup and be and be effective, at least be like league average. Uh, the the Aces have players like that too. De'Arianna Hamby's coming off the bench, she could probably start for uh, a few teams, more than a few teams in the WNBA, but most other teams. The starting group is their best group. Now, Cheyenne Parker's been great for the Scottish season. She's cooled off somewhat after the first couple of months of the season where her her advanced metrics were really good. Yeah. Uh, Kalia Copper started to heat up the last couple of months uh, just after getting more playing time. And that's probably just a result not only of her skills, but of Coach Wade seeing that she was doing well and putting her in the lineup to take advantage of her energy, her athleticism, and her defensive intensity. And then Gabby Williams is still kind of working through the growing pains of playing multiple different positions, but she's another player who, when she makes a, when she makes a great play, it's obvious how good she is. And then you have Jameer Faulkner coming back, and Katie Lou Samuelson finally getting a little bit of time, and Stu Endure finally getting some time on the floor as well. But those aren't necessarily a starting group, so they're going to mix with the be- they're going to mix with the starters that benches. But for the sky, it really the starters are what makes the team go. VanderSluis and Quigley and Dolson and Lavender and uh, Diamond to Shields. That's what they need to be successful. The bench contributing is go- is is always great, but they beat the fever and the bench only scored I think eight points uh, a couple of weeks ago. So as, as good as the bench has played and as much as they are a uh, benefit to the team, it's going to be the starters that make the difference on if they get to the playoffs and where they end up in the playoffs.
0: I could not agree more because I think this is a dangerous formula with like what they're rolling with. And I think that it can kind of work in the regular season, but I don't know, I went back and looked at all the box scores and like from this season, like that the Sky uh, and all the games this guy played in and... I mean, they have trailed against their opponents going into the second half in half of those games um, that they've played this year. So, I mean, I think that says a lot about their resilience as a team, but I'm sure that everyone on that team prefers not having to show that resilience night in and night out. And pummeling your opponents and, like, winning handily is something this team has only experienced a few times this season, and it's exhausting being the team that has to work for it every time they go out. So, I mean, they are talented enough to, like, keep this going in the regular season, but, like, come playoff time, like, I'm with you. Like, I'm not sure that this is going to hold up. And as much as I love the personnel on this team, they, they show flashes of potential, like, every game. Someone shows, like, that they are going to be a future WNBA contributor. Um, you know, they're going to be, like, a constant WNBA contributor. I just don't think that they can claw back into these games and, like – um. And I don't know, and do it every time in the playoffs when you play the better teams in the league. It's just a very hard thing to accomplish. And you can also argue that, like, like you said, like the starters really haven't hit their peak as a unit. And so maybe this team can make some noise later down the road. But yeah, I mean, you gotta wonder, like, if we're ever going to see this twenty nineteen team really, you know, start hitting it on uh, on all cylinders here. I can't think of one game this season where both Diamond to Shields and Allie Quigley have gone off at the same time. And I mean, that's a theme I've gone over with this podcast, especially is just can those two get it done together? Is Diamond to Shields consistently going to be the superstar offensive player that we kind of expected her to be going into the season? So I just want to see both, you know, Quigley and Diamond get it together a little bit. But yeah, I think we both agree that this bench really can't keep this team afloat the whole way. Um, but is there anybody on the bench that you expect to step it up more in the second half of the season, or if you want to call it a second half, but the last third of the season? Well, I, I love what Kalia Copper, what yeah. she's doing,
1: what she does, what she brings to the table. She and Diamond are both of those slasher-type players who can get to the basket or make the de- put the defense in a difficult position. I mean, they're – they are scorers. Diamond's primary function out there is to score and to put pressure on the defense, especially on the fast break, with their speed, with their athleticism, and with the relative height and just strength of being able to finish. So I love what Kalia Copper does when on the other side of the ball, she puts pressure on an offense. She, If, if the sky can work, uh, if they can trap the ball towards the sideline, that's a lot for a defense to try and pass out of, to try and keep the offense running in the half court set. If you trap the ball on the half or the on the sideline by the wing or the high post with Copper, the Shields, or even Gabby Williams too, that's gonna make it that's gonna give a lot of, of, of threat of a turnover or just take a lot of seconds off of the shot clock. So I wanna I wanna see her keep doing what she's doing. That'll put the side in an even better position. But what Cheyenne Parker was doing in terms of rebounding early in the season, Ugh. I want to see that come back. A lot of people a lot of people have talked about how she's made changes away from the court and her diet and her preparation and how she practices, and that is absolutely fantastic, and it was evident. But she's really slowed down uh, before the all-star break and now a little bit after. So what she was doing in May that's, that's really necessary. There's, there's not a lot of teams that can bring great rebounding off the bench, but uh, the Indiana Fever have Tierra McCowan, and that's going to be a lot for a lot of teams to handle. But Cheyenne is one of the players who can really bang with a player like McCowan down low, and other teams who have quality rebounding. Cheyenne Park is a player who can create space for herself and create more possessions for the sky. So that's something that they're going to need. Their offensive rebounding percentage numbers, when I post my weekly stats, they have consistently fluctuated between 10th and 12th in the league, in a league of 12 teams. So if you have a player like Parker who can go to the offensive glass, and Jontel Lavender is another player like that too, but Cheyenne Parker is really key for generating those possessions, extra possessions, and, you know, one and done on the defensive end.
0: I agree. It's kind of funny or not funny, but like one thing I noticed is that like when Cheyenne started to kind of trend downwards, like Jantel Lavender started to trend upwards in that respect. And especially defensively, there was a while where like there was a point where the sky just couldn't take away some of those inside buckets and Cheyenne coming off of the bench. I mean, I think she was averaging 1.6 blocks per game at one point while Steph and Jantel were like 0.6 and 0.8 respectively. I mean, they kind of needed that defense, and that I don't know. She has like a certain tenacity that you just gotta love out of her game. On in terms of the backcourt, though, going back to like what you said about Kalia Copper, I also agree like that she has done incredible this season, and. Just her ability as like someone who can get to the line, I feel like that's that's so valuable for the sky. But then you got to look at like what Gabby Williams has done, as you know, as it's gone around in Sky Twitter. Point, Gabby, she did great when she was in that role. And now you bring Jamira Faulkner back, who was one of the three players left on the 2014 Finals team. And then you also have Chloe Jackson, who is that second round project that you have, and not to mention you know the most underrated point guard of all time, and Courtney Vandersloot. I mean this. The backcourt is just so crowded. I mean, how is James Wade going to manage that? Does it worry you? Do you you feel like they have too much depth in the backcourt to really make sure this thing is clicking, or do you think this team is just not even focusing on that right now and they're just going to step up when their name is called? I'm really not worried about
1: that. Uh, James Wade's proven himself to be a player's coach. He had the reputation when he came on board. And you can see it in press conferences, in the play, during games, in how the players react to him and how they react to each other. That's the first thing. You know, he's a player's coach, so he's going to ride the hot hand during games. With practice, he's really feeling out his players. They're still probably feeling him out as well. But he's just feeling out what the chemistry looks like and how they can use that going forward. The second thing is this is pretty much a new team. You know, They went through... Uh, this is like like you said. Jameer Faulkner is one of the only players, if not the only player, left from that finals team from twenty fourteen, and only she and Courtney and uh, Steph, or no, sorry, not Steph. Um, I think it's she just she and Allie and Courtney are left from the Becky yeah. Chapman tenure. and so you've had those two years with Amber Stocks, and now you have James Wade coming on with Katie Lou with Gabby and with uh, you know, the new players, the two rookies, and Diamond and the Shields, this is basically a new team. And with new teams figuring out things under a new coach and kind of a new chemistry and new rotation, you don't have that disease of more that gets to some teams that either get to the playoffs and miss the finals or get to the finals or win a championship. The year after that they, they hit their first peak is really when you see what teams are made of in terms of Chemistry and their commitment to focusing on, on getting to the top of their, their league. Well, who's asking for more playing time? Who wants a larger role in the offense? Things like that. So I don't think you're going to see something like that. Players are always going to be, especially in the WNBA, where the, where the pay is unfortunately much lower than it should be, players are always going to be looking for the best situation for them. In terms of pay, and in terms of location, in terms of, how they do things like that. But this team is still
0: coming together. But that's Um, the weird part of this. Isn't it, though? Like, the Sky's timeline right now. I mean, they have these group of veterans, and I kind of tweeted this out today um, in a conversation I had with the Sky Show Shy. It's impossible to say. Uh, But he said, um, he was just talking about how he wants to see Katie Lou Samuelson in some of these games more. Um, She just hasn't had that opportunity to really play expanded minutes. And, I mean, I just feel like there's... There's, like, we have this veteran group, or not we, the Sky have a veteran group that um, that wants to win now, but then there's these rookies that are still trying to get adjusted to the W, and, I mean, it's it's weird because I just feel like half the, like, you have the veterans in Jameer Faulkner and Salute. You kind of have, like, those middle veterans, like, middle-tier veterans, or, like, we've only played a couple years, like Kalia Copper and Gabby Williams, and then you have, like, the rookie and Chloe Jackson. It's just, like, a very it's a broad spe- uh, spectrum in terms of like what we can see from the front court this season. Um, he, what I like about James Wade is that he is a great in-game coach and he really, I mean, he feels like he's thinking about a new lineup every minute that passes by in these games. And you just, I trust him with the personnel also. It's just, you gotta be able to like make sure everybody's happy. And it kind of seems like the rookies like Katie Lou and Chloe Jackson are just kind of, just gonna be sitting around or playing five minutes a game this season um, but yeah no it's gonna be interesting to see how he I means how he adjusts uh, the lineups or if he's gonna just keep rolling with the bench mob as Twitter has uh, been uh, quick to name the sky bench this year but um, Chris one thing that caught my attention after lax like last week's episode, Uh, that I did was an SI article on Vanderquigs and how they make the relationship work on and off the court. What caught my attention though, during the piece was this excerpt that I saw. So this is what it said: They, they being Vanderquigs, they also have aligned their WNBA contracts in 2019. They're on one year deals, which they stress is not a sign. They want to play anywhere, but Chicago. They just want to maximize their options. They just want to maximize their options. They just want to maximize their options. I mean, Chris, oh my God, like, are we up to lose Vanderquigs right now? I mean, is the only rational takeaway from this is that they're leaving the sky? I mean, honestly, I can't imagine that. But crazier things have happened in sports. So just <laughs> so just tell me, where is Vanderquigs going now that they, without no question, are bolting from Chicago and heading elsewhere after the season?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I read that article too and it was great um just overall I, i've got to look that up because i want to give the, the author of that article some, some some props it was it was excellent it was excellent to read about the courtship and about their time overseas and the difficulty that they both went through while they were in their, you know, the the beginning stages of their relationship not only getting used to each other as people on and off the court but dealing with the communication when you're playing in Croatia and Hungary, and then when you're playing in—I think—Croatia to to Russia, there was a point in time where the trip went from four hours to like ten, where they just could not see each other when they had time off. But like I like like I said before, when you're living in when you're playing for a league that does not have a high pay scale, you've got to maximize your options. You just have to. And so as ungodly as it would be for fans, and even for people who cover the team, who appreciate the team, like you and I, to not have one or both of these players on the team, they do have to maximize their options and see what might happen, because uh, Courtney Lee, forever underrated, has been in the league since, is it 2010, 2011? 2011. No, it's been almost a so it's been almost a decade, and Allie even longer than that. So, Allie at this point, her career, it's not that her career is winding down, but I think they're both mature enough players to see where they are in the, at this point in life. And when, you, when, you're travel, when you're playing at home for four months, five months, and then you get on a plane to somewhere in Europe or, or China, Asia, wherever, and you're playing there another four or five months, it's going to take a toll on you. In terms of WNBA teams that might want, might have a look for them, Atlanta is interesting to me just because they have this whole situation with Angel McCautry, but they have some promising they have some promising pieces, and they have room for those two guards, a spot up shooter, and, a, and a, a real point guard floor general. Uh, Angel McCautry is a great player but she consistently leads the league in turnovers. So having a player like Vanderstude who could draw some of the the usage rate off of her I think would help them. Now, that depends on if they keep Angel McCautry, which has been a subject of debate. But I think it would be interesting to have those three in the backcourt who could run on the floor at any one time. And the one thing for me is that it would be far from Courtney's family in Washington, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if it would go that way. But that would be an interesting team statistically. Seattle would be another one. Um, they could kind of rotate Allie into a bench or a start. She could fluctuate between those two positions once Brianna Story comes back. Courtney might be in the same role behind playing behind Jewel Lloyd and Jordan Canada, so I don't know exactly how that would work for her because those are two players who are still developing their talents, and I don't think the Storm would want to... Um, if they, if they had Tony Vandersloot, she would not get as much nearly as much playing time as she does now. It would probably be 15 minutes a night at most. And that would reduce her effectiveness. So I don't think that Seattle would be a great landing spot for her there. So it, it would really be between, I think, Atlanta, possibly just teams that are kind of trying to play for next season. So Atlanta, possibly Dallas. Uh, And and maybe Seattle, if they had to flip a coin, or if the two players really decided it, like, hey, this is where we want to go, the storm would be an option. But let's be real. Chicago's the best place for it.
0: (laughs) It really is. Like, all jokes aside, and I'm sorry for that uh, hyperbole at the beginning of this, (laughs) I don't see a clear-cut fit for this tandem just get up and go without a lot of maneuvering from another team. And Atlanta was one of the teams I thought of for some reason, like off the top of my head. And then the second one I thought was Indiana could be a fit, just for one, th- like, just in terms of where they are statistically. Like they aren't the best three-point shooting team, and they don't facilitate the ball as well as other teams in the league. But they also aren't really going to give up on Kelsey Mil- like Kelsey Mitchell and Erica Wheeler, or even like like Tiffany Mitchell. Like I feel like they they're pretty secure where they're at there. So I don't actually want to entertain this thought. But I did come up with one crazy scenario in which I didn't really account for contracts and just thought about the fit and how it could be kind of interesting. That that team is the Phoenix Mercury, where they could play small ball offense around like uh, around Bonner and Griner, and they could just light up teams offensively. So the way I think this could work is that like Diana Taurasi and Ali Quigley would both free each other up. Like from like the suffocation on the perimeter that their opponents give them night to night, and just kind of having Sloot open up the floor with you know her all-time passing ability. I don't know. I feel like that would be a dream come true to have all those three players, and you can just. I mean, I know. I mean, I think Diana would have to play the three. I mean, Ellie Quigley's strong, but I could also. I mean, I think Diana could defer to the three. It just it'd just be interesting to have all that shooting power, and then have the physical power of like Doaa Bonner and. Brittany Griner. I think that would be a really interesting team together. Just, again, not based on the contracts or anything, but just based on the fit. But also because of the limited window with Diana Taurasi, you know, and how Vanderquigs could maximize that window with their veteran presence. I mean, Ali is, I think, 33 and Courtney's 30. Maybe she's 31 now, but I think she's 30. So it's a crazy thought. But I think like Phoenix kind of has to think outside of the box a little bit with you know the goat getting up there in age and maybe Quigley could also just step into that role once Diana, you know, is retired and she could just be the three point marks uh, marks woman that you know that Diana has been her whole career in Phoenix. So that would be a crazy one. I thought like I thought of Phoenix too, but I also think they're gonna buy in with Jordan Canada, and Jewel Lloyd. I mean, that's a really fun backcourt that once Sue Bird, like, officially retires, you know. It's going to be cool to see Jordan Canada. I mean, she's just absolutely destroyed the sky this season. Like, I don't know if if you've watched all three of the Seattle Sky games, but, oh, my God, Jordan Canada's defense against Sloot is just impossible. Like, I don't know how Sloot was able to do anything against Seattle just because Jordan Canada was just an absolute monster. Um, But, yeah, what's the – hey, Courtney and Allie, don't leave Chicago because that's clearly the best fit. And that's totally my unbiased opinion that uh, I'm just going to roll with for now. Um, (laughs) But now that we are like past the all-star game, we can finally get back to our weekly relevant stats segment that we do on the show. So it will only feature two matchups this week, but they are pretty substantial because they're going up against they being the sky are going up against the aces and sparks this upcoming week. So what Chris and I are going to do is give one relevant stat heading into each matchup, and who we think is going to win that matchup. So, Chris, what is your relevant stat heading into the Skies game on Friday against the Aces? I was going to be a wag
1: and say road winning percentage, and <laughs> one and four against the West on the road. But uh, let's—I'm going to be more, more, more true to the format. <laughs> uh, when Liz Cambage shoots. It has ten shots or fewer. The aces are two and four.
0: Hmm.
1: When she shoots uh, eleven or more, they I to, like I think they are either ten and ten and four or eleven and four. And they're ten and seven overall. I mean, there's been a couple of games where she didn't play, but they are they're at a three three thirty three winning percentage when she only has 10 shots, or less than 10 shots. One of those games was actually the game that the Sky lost. Yeah. But they did fairly well at limiting her touches. They just had trouble with De'Arake Hamby, as every team has trouble with (laughs) De'Arake Hamby. So you really want to make sure that they don't get easy baskets. And one interesting thing that I found in terms of shooting defense, the Sky are pretty good. At limiting opponents' efficiency, really close to the basket, they give up a lot of shots within five feet. But the, the opponent's shooting percentage, I think, is the best in the league at that distance. They have like they give up either the most shots and the second most shots, but they have the best shooting, like defensive shooting percentage in that area. So you want to limit you want to limit Liz Cambage because she's getting a little bit more. Uh, Demanding of the ball, which is good. The agents need that. I was surprised that she wasn't doing that early in the season. And you have to slow down Asia Wilson, obviously, and then turn them into a jump shooting team. That's going to be your best bet for success. If they get easy baskets, if Asia Wilson can get to and below the free throw line, it's really tough to stop Las Vegas. If you put them on the perimeter, you're going to have a better chance of success.
0: And even then, the Aces are just so good. I mean, Kayla McBride, I can't get enough of Kayla McBride. She's so good. But, but I agree. I mean, I think we've seen a trend in the Sky season that, like, and you have to really credit James Wade for this. And again, I have mentioned this point a couple times in the previous shows, but the Sky are just really good at limiting the stars from going off. I mean, they do best when they stop those you know, those stars from really going off. Like John Quell Jones, That when the Sky went against Connecticut, like in the first matchup, I think she only took like 9 or 11 shots. And you, you can look back at like DeWanna Bonner's stats too, and just not letting stars explode. And that's something that the Sky really do well with. And I do think that the front court isn't as, uh, I mean, there wasn't that many changes besides Jantel Lavender in the offseason with, what they did in the front court. So defensively, they're using kind of the same players. They're just, James Wade's maximizing all of their abilities on defense. So yeah, no, I mean, like being able to limit Liz Cambage is going to be huge. She is someone that, I mean, the Aces have two of the six players last year who, who uh, were averaging 20 points per game. And that's, I mean, they've declined, but they still, Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage can go off for 20 points at any point, any game. So, yeah, no, I agree. I think that like limiting Liz Cambage is going to be huge. I mean, it's for for every uh, for every team, limiting Liz Cambage is going to be a big problem. The only time that you can really stop Liz Cambage is if she waves off Kayla McBride and starts playing, uh, tries to play point guard like she did in the All Star game. But um, my key stat for this game. Oh yeah, what were you gonna say? Um, just I mean, another thing about about Kim, I mean,
1: The Las Vegas defense is is going to be is always tough. Yeah, and was kind of one of the best offensive teams in the league, but they're going to have to find creative ways to score and they're going to have to do something that they don't typically do, which is get to the free-throw line. Defensively, with Liz Cambage, you and I and everybody who watches the league on a regular basis knows that she can get frustrated. So if you can frustrate her with fouls, if you can get her into a compromising position in the paint and get her into foul trouble, or if this guy can defend her uh, well enough so that she starts asking for calls. I mean, it's not that she's going to turn off completely. We've seen that where she'll have a tough first half or a tough first quarter and then get into the flow of the game. But that's something that can work to their favor. If you get a player like, like Liz
0: out of joint, they'll not have some success. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. My key stat for this game, though, is that the Aces are allowing the third most points per game to opposing bench players this season. So, I mean, like, overall in terms of, like, the opposing team, like, their bench, uh, they give up the third most points to opposing benches. So, I mean, we just talked about this at the top of the show, but it's the sky's strength right now, um, just that depth, and it gives James Wade options to... Just try to stop the star power of the Aces. I mean, that's going to be so hard. And the Sky held their own against the Aces last time out, but they only played four of their bench players due to injuries and DNPs. And I think Astu Nidor was, I think she was in Europe at that point. Um, Now the team is fully healthy and they can kind of take advantage of their depth against the Aces. I hope that Nidor is going to be able to stop, or help stop that high-low game that Liz and Asia just do so well together. I mean I don't know how anyone's gonna stop that when the playoffs come around because anytime I watch the Aces and' they're, I, I would say the sky and the Aces are the teams I watch the most just because the Aces are just so fun to watch uh, I don't know how anyone's gonna stop that tandem of Liz Campage and Asia Wilson they're just so good but um who would you take in this game like uh when I think the Aces are coming to town to Chicago like who do you who do you think is going to win this matchup? Would have been
1: the, the A's first trip to Chicago, and the Sky's record at home, uh, barring that three that three-game stretch where they were really they really didn't play well. I would still take the Sky here. It's 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 tough for them against one of the best teams in the league. Not the best team in the league. they're not the best team in the league. I want to make that clear in my time on air, on this podcast. But they are one of the best teams in the league. So it's going to be difficult. But the sky get up at home. They just they just do. Yeah, it, This is still a league with, with what we've seen from travel, and I know that's coming up later in the show. But this is still a league where travel matters. So if you're playing on the road, there's going to be a tangible difference when you're playing at home, your, when you're sleeping in hotels and flying commercial rather than just at home. So I'm gonna take the sky home, it'll be close. But I would give I think they'll win by give them four points or
0: five. I think that the sky are either gonna like it's gonna be a close matchup that they win or that they just kind of fall apart against the aces. I love Skytown, but I'm just not betting against the Aces this season. I'm with you. I honestly think that the Mystics and Aces are just shooing teams to make the finals. I know that's not a hot take. In fact that's a pretty cold take but anything can change and anything can change down the road and everything. But right now I just, I got a ride with the aces. I just, I'm so impressed with that team to, like is doing and how Lamb beer has been able to like really coach Asia, Asia Wilson and like connect with Liz campage um, But you're right. I mean, the, the sky are just a tremendous team at home and all of their woes have come on the road mostly. So um, it would, it's, I think it could be a close one, but I'm just, I can't bet against the aces right now. They're just so good. Um, what is your second relevant stat with this guy set to face the Sparks later on this week? Well, this is difficult because the Sparks, looking
1: at their record, they are one of, if not the hottest team in the league right now. They've yeah. been six of their last seven. Candace Parker's back with the team. But I'm a defensive-minded person, so i I got to go back to defense. And Nuneke, I, oh, I think I screwed that up. I apologize. <laughs> She's the best statistical player on the team right now. Candace is still working her way back from her time off. And when she shoots, she has 13 field goal attempts or less. Los Angeles is 4-5. and five. But right now, they're 13-8. and eight. So, again, as it was with Cam Bage, if, if you limit one of their best players, then you're going to have a better chance. Now, in this, it's even more uh, pronounced because... So, yeah, and it was great because I checked this. So, Nanika Ogle Mike, best player on the Sparks, unquestioned by far. Even you you have six players averaging in double figures, but when you put up 16 and nearly 10 rebounds a night with almost two assists, two steals, and shooting almost 50% from the field, 83% from the line, that's a complete player. Candace Parker is a Hall of Famer but she's still working her way back into the rotation. Chelsea Gray is a good player as well, but she's not a player that you look at with that same, that you orient your defense around. So, Manika is just that type of player that you have to limit. And so, if you limit her touches, if you limit, if you play good, good enough defense where she doesn't get to the free throw line a lot, she only, according to the stats that I've got, she only shoots three, three, three free throws per game. But if you keep her off the line and if you keep her touches and you limit her touches, you're going to have a better chance of success. And in this instance with the Sparks, it's not like the Aces where you have to pick your poison. If you shut down this one player, you're going to have a much better chance. When they went out to Los Angeles, they did not do that.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I'm still trying to recover from the point that you said that Candace Parker isn't the best player on the Sparks. I know you're talking about statistics, but... just just this year. Of course. Just no, this year, I hear you. Bit. Still trying to shake that one off though. Oh my god. No, I, I agree with you. I mean <laughs> she has been great for the Sparks this season and I mean she is the key. I just think that anytime I mean I think just that Candace Parker is just really starting to get it going now and that uh I, I do I always think that she's gonna be the key no matter like whatever uh whether how like what whatever her condition of health is. But no, I, I agree with everything that you said. I just think that I think you were you said you're a defensive minded guy. I mean that kind of goes into what I was saying for my relevant stat, and it's that the Sparks are the worst three point shooting team uh, in the W as of right now, and the Sky are the second best. But also that LA's opponents also shoot 14 percent better uh, when they lo- like when LA loses compared to when they win. So I do think it all it comes down to stopping the Sky on the perimeter. I mean, all it takes is one Allie Quigley game to just destroy a team and the sparks are kind of vulnerable in this area not being able to shut down those type of players and i mean that has to be on uh derek fisher's mind as uh we head into this one i mean where like who do you think wins this one though like sparks sky because i think it could be close but i kind of like part of me kind of feels like it's in the sparks hands but what do you think
1: I have the same feeling, unfortunately. When you when the only time when the only other game during the season was a 20-plus point blowout, it's hard to shake that off. Uh, the sky, Stephanie Wilson went scoreless in that game, and she got into foul trouble, which is a bit troubling. So I, I want to see if James Waits switches the lineup around to give Cheyenne Parker a lot of time. And she played relatively well. She only had six points on eleven shots, but she got eleven rebounds. So it'll be interesting to see if he starts Cheyenne over stuff, since she obviously had a difficult time last time. But I, I do have to go with the sparks on this one. Uh Candace has had more runtime since then. And they're they're rounding they're really rounding into their true form. I, I can't give a score. But I think this one might be have a bit wider of a margin. I wouldn't be surprised if the Sparks win by ten or or at least eight. Now, if the Sky do win, it's going to come from that offense, and it'll probably be a shootout. And then if they can shut down the Nika Fine, if they can't, it'll be a shootout and take your chance to see if we can just score more points than they can put up before 40 minutes of elapsed. last. But it would probably be a two-point, three-point game if the Sky win.
0: Yeah, I do think if the Sky do win, they're going to score like 90 to 100 points. And they've shown that they can do that this season, you know? Like, I think that's definitely possible. But I just... I The first Sparks game I ever saw was one where Candace Parker just did everything on both sides of the ball. And I talked about this with Chris Kwasinski a couple weeks back. But she almost... Like, they were blowing out the Sky so much that she almost dunked it. She didn't at the end. She yelled out, nah, in terms of, like, not risking it. But she... I mean, if she gets back to like peak Candace form, even 90% of Candace Parker is better than most players in the league. It's just going to be hard for Chicago to win this one. I do, I could see this being a slugfest, though. Like, it would be really, um, maybe this can be the game where Diamond really just has a breakout performance against Candace Parker. I mean, I know she's not someone that needs extra motivation, but maybe going up against one of the greatest basketball players of all time and Candace Parker maybe that can make her take it up a notch and just just have one of those games where like you know the young rising superstar goes up against again what, one of the greatest WNBA players of all time I mean, really basketball players of all time just absolutely blown away anytime I see Candace Parker play I I mean if the sky are going to score 90 to 100 points like I just said I do think that diamond kind of needs to score 20 to 25 points in this game. And I think that she's fully capable of doing that. But if the Sky are going to win, they're going to need that from her. And that's going to be kind of interesting as we move forward from this too. Is just is she going to be able to take over games against some of the best teams in the league? And I guess we're going to see it. And that's kind of the thing about the Sky team, right? Is that they one night they will blow out connecticut like we saw a couple weeks back and then the next night they will kind of fall apart like we've seen against the mystics with them this season they just don't they just don't find ways to put it all together against some of the upper echelon teams in the league and that's why i don't feel great about the sky going into this one uh because i don't i mean the sparks are hot we've talked about that and i i mean this could be our an interesting playoff preview that we have set here against the Sparks. I think that the Sky and Sparks are the four and five spots in the standings right now, respectively. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I hope that we'll see something from just the offense. I mean, I I feel like the, the defense has kind of reached its peak or we know what we're getting from the defense. I just think that we're going to – we don't know what we're going to get from the offense and – against a hot Sparks team, who knows? I think that that's why I don't feel great about the Sky in this matchup. And that's why I kind of think the Sparks could pull away with this one, just with Candace kind of getting back to her form. But yeah, I do think this is going to be a cool playoff preview. I mean, Sparks-Sky? I mean, I'd be game to see that in the first round. Um, maybe James Wade and Co. wouldn't want to just because of how, you know, that's a veteran team they're going up against. But. Um Neither of those teams wants to be in that single elimination round. Either of those rounds. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. So I wanted to talk to you about this next thing. So last week, I rambled about how Catherine Engelbert might have missed an opportunity in not coming out with a statement about you know how playing and travel conditions are at the top of her priorities, and this just happened right after Connecticut and. Uh, the Connecticut, no, was it? yeah, it was the Connecticut, Connecticut Sun versus the Chicago Sky. Um, you know, the Sky had a 10-hour, like, traveling delay, and a lot of the players didn't get in until 4.45 a.m. Um, so I guess I just wanted to ask you, because I really haven't had a chance to bounce this off anyone. Like, what do you think she should have done? Because uh, there's a part of me that thinks... Actually, I'll hold off on of my opinion, but like, do you think she should have laid low after a successful All-Star Game weekend? You know, that just had a lot of positivity surrounding it, and maybe she just wanted to like coast off of that. Or do you think she should have like over communicated to the fan base and the rest of the league that she is committed to fixing these issues and interfere with the product on the court? Well, it
1: was difficult to, to
0: articulate for me just
1: because I listened to your your argument that you made on your podcast last week. And there was pretty salient. You know, It's This is a, this is an issue for every team in the league, even though it hasn't necessarily affected every team yet. When you have a team like Las Vegas last year that has to forfeit rather than play a game, that's not good for your product. So Kathy Engelberg was brought in here because she's a successful CEO. She's a successful businesswoman. She's a successful business person, period. And so not only does the WNBA want to maximize the reach of their product, they want to maximize their product. And their product is the players, and the product is the players playing the games. So if the players aren't playing, or if the players aren't playing to their best because of avoidable circumstances, that reflects badly not only on the league, but on the people running it. So now they have a commissioner in place that is an established uh, chief executive officer that is known to be successful. It's not that I don't think that, it's not that I think she should have said something specifically, and it's, it's the commissioner's job to, to like you as you said, control the narrative. That was a space where she definitely could have controlled the narrative in a, in a better way. But when she came out on her introductory press conference, which was a little bit more than a month ago, she did if someone obliquely addressed the fact that player experience has to be better, and she did say the travel issue. Now, it it still stands to reason what what what, what that is going to mean. And the collective bargaining agreement negotiations are going to be really, really, really telling. The league doesn't have too much standing from where, from my perspective, from my point of view, the league really doesn't have a lot of standing and a lot of leverage that they can use in these negotiations to say, to, to keep the travel at the same level that it is. So I'm not sure what they're gonna be able to do, but I don't necessarily think that she needed to come out with a statement because I don't know what their options were on that statement. If you come out and say, well, you know, we, you can't say we apologize, this is a thing that I hate in business, but you can't apologize because then you give yourself up to liability. But what what else? I don't know exactly what else she could have said, other than, "We are working tirelessly to address this." Because then the question becomes, "What are you doing in that tireless work?" It's it's tough because I really want her to succeed, and she's in a she's in a bit of a bind with how the league is now and the the increase of reach. And hopefully, we're all crossing our fingers that the league is profitable more profitable for all 12 teams or at least a majority of those 12 teams but i don't i don't see exactly where she could have said something or, or what she could have said it's it's a difficult situation for her to be in as as the commissioner of, of a professional sports league which we, i think any of us would love to do she was really in a no-win situation
0: ah uh, yeah and i i i get that too and i guess i care less about how the like how the upper management in the WNBA is really, uh, you know, like how they're perceiving things. I guess I was only, I mean, I was really just looking at it from the players and fans standpoint. I just still think that acknowledging the problem that exists and just like controlling it and just saying that like, you know, if someone comes out with an article saying, you know, the WNBA has to address this problem and it's been lingering on for this long, that would have been nice in the paragraph, like the next paragraph, just being like, and this is what, Kathy, uh, Kathy Engelbert had to say about the situation, so that it's just not like when people who read about this stuff, especially people who don't keep up to date on WNBA content and just see like, oh, this was a, this is something that came up. This is actually something that exists. She could have had that statement in that, like in an article, just saying like, yes, you know, just overcommunicating the idea of like, yes, we just we want to acknowledge this problem. There's nothing that we can do right now until we get to CBA negotiations. But this is a problem, and we, we want you, the fans and the players, to know that this is something that's on the top of my priorities. I don't think that would have hurt them. I mean, I just say like, we want to – even doing something like – or saying something like that, you know, just trying to – I don't know. I just feel like she has to be – she's a really key player in CBA negotiations. She has to be the one that really is going to kind of be in between the players and the owners here and – you know i wouldn't have hurt her in terms of like cuz the the players are going to come after the league hard i wouldn't have hurt to just have that i don't know if it's solidarity but just like you know the players are like it it's not they don't they don't have to go back to one news like press conference that said that she cares about the issues that she can continue to display that she is like really cares about this issue and that she's not just someone that the owners can really rely on to just focus on their interests Maybe it's a little too harsh, but I just came out of that game with Connecticut, and, I mean, that clearly affected their play. And especially, like, Cheyenne Parker, we talked about her. I mean, you could kind of tell she was one of those players affected by that tiredness. She said after the game that it's it's unhealthy to, you know, play basketball after traveling, you know, for that long and just laying around, letting your muscles, like, tense up like that. It just felt... Wrong that no one said anything, and um. But at the same time, I get where you're coming from too. I mean, it is a business, and you gotta, and they do have to look after the owners who put money into this every year. So, like, I get it. But at the same time, it just it just felt weird that nothing was said, and like there was like nothing from anyone in the league about it. But I just felt like it was a missed opportunity. Not like she sh- like I guess it's not even that like she should have said it. I guess, but it just felt like a missed opportunity, and like stopping the tension between the players and owners because I just worry about like what CBA negotiations are going to look like, you know, it just seems like it could go sour pretty quick. Um, but actually there's one last thing that I didn't mention to you on the outline that I gave you before this. So maybe I'll just edit this out, but I'm curious to, I just came up like in the last like 30 minutes before the podcast. So I just wanted to run it by you. So, like the WNBA trade deadline didn't really feature a ton of moves. And I mean, I feel like a lot of that can be attributed to a lot of teams just being set where they, like where they are. But on the other side of this though, a big part of the fan experience is like tracking these transactions and hoping to see like big unexpected moves. Do you feel like just, in, just in terms of the overall like uh spectrum of like the WNBA where we're at, do you feel like the WNBA, like, does the WNBA suffer by the fans not being able to engage in like trade rumor discussions or trade rumor like trade rumor mill discussions?
1: Well, I think that's a byproduct of when leagues get to the to the point of where they can afford to to work that into their main their main methods of
0: building rosters.
1: Yeah, and that's you know if that's the case for. Uh, that's the that's the case mainly. You know, mainly baseball is still the big, the, the really big summer rumor mill. And when it comes to trades, like the free agency deadline, and somewhat in bas- somewhat in the NBA, input in that basketball league. But it's not a thing that really happens too much in the NHL. It happens to some degree, but you don't see it happen too much. And even over the off season. Uh, restrictive free agency contracts are, or restrictive free agency offer sheets aren't really a big thing in the, in the NHL. I was talking to a friend of mine who knows more about it and I'm watching a couple videos. In the NHL, it's, there's, a, there's a, a weird gentleman's agreement that RFAs pretty much stay put. That's only been transgressed, I think, very recently, either this year or just up until last year. And those are leagues who have a ton of history uh, with the NHL; it goes back further than even the NFL or NBA. So, not having a big trade rumor mill, or a lot of a lot of grist for the fans to ooh and all ah over, I think it might look it, it might look a, a bit uh, thin in comparison to NBA free agency, which basketball fans go nuts over, and rightly so, it's exciting. But the midseason trade deadline being fairly quiet, that's not a big focus for the league right now, both from the the league perspective and from the, the team's perspective. I think they really, really should be, and for the most part are, trying to focus on maximizing what they have towards the draft for next season. But I don't think having a, a lot of, not having a lot of excitement at the midseason trade deadline, I
0: don't think that hurts the league that much. I'm so torn with this because this has, this wasn't like an idea that I came up with. I just saw it. I forget which article I saw that on. But I think there's an argument to be made that it does kind of hurt the WNBA experience a little bit. Just, I mean, I go back to the off season when Liz Cambage... Demanded a trade or like she, there was rumors about her being traded to Las Vegas. And it wasn't just like the WNBA community was exploding, but like other major outlet, like outlets were just going nuts over this and they were creating content around it. And I just kind of feel like it, we need that in terms of like getting some traction with the fans here. I kind of think we need more of this. Like, and I think the NBA is an interesting comparison just because, you know, the NBA finals ratings were down last year and you would never have expected that based on how the free agent frenzy conversations happening on Twitter, like how those went down. It just kind of feels like there are a lot of people that are more into the drama of that league that like, I don't know, then like keep up to like with all these games that happen night to night. And the WNBA is kind of like the opposite of that where we tend to focus on what's happening on the court and there's not really a ton of outside noise that's like positive with the league. Like we, the all of, like the outside noise I feel like kind of comes with the negative things about the WNBA, about how the lack like it's lack of marketing, how the website's dysfunctional. Um, you know, all the negative things that are like the surround the league I mean, equal pay is a huge problem. And you know, the revenue sharing. So a part of me feels like, man, it would be so cool to just have, like, uh, you know, kind of have some discussion, like, circulating around. I mean, th- going back to, like, a, I mentioned Brian, like, or the Sky Show Shy, he mentioned something about, he had a poll up that said, are we going to even see one trade this year? Or are we going to see no trades? And I think the poll ended <laughs> with the, like, the poll ended with their people voting the, uh, they thought there would only be no, like there would be no trades happening. And it was like a 50-50 split, but it's just like, really? We can't generate anything from this? And again, I understand this is not a part of the league's priorities, but like if I am Kathy Engelbert, I'm trying to think about how to make some noise and like as much as possible. And like the WNBA and Twitter isn't exactly like great at putting up content that putting up a ton of like, replays and like a lot like adding to the fan experience. So I don't know. I kind of just, I hope down the road and that when the product is really grown domestically that maybe we can see something like this that we see in the NBA where people kind of go crazy on Twitter about it. Um, I know that the players kind of get stressed out when they see their name thrown in all these trade rumors, but like it would be kind of interesting to add that dynamic to the league, just especially of like how, how many personalities we have in the WNBA and how great they are, and um, it'd just be cool to see like how that is going to be worked in. But as of right now, that's like the last thing <laughs> the WNBA really needs to be working like, worrying about right now. Um, but so as we wrap this up, um, is there anything else you want to add? Is anything you want to like plug before we you know end the phone call?
1: Well, of course, as a, as a still aspiring journalist. That's on the hustle. I want to ask everybody to read my above the clouds column that comes out on, mostly every week on a pretty regular basis every week. It's on weareregalradio.com. So follow We Are Regal Radio, Regal Radio, at Regal Radio 1. Um, they always, once my articles are up, they're always published uh, towards the end of the week, Thursday or Friday. So this one should be coming out on Friday. I love covering this team, so I'm going to put my heart and soul into that. And then you can follow me on Twitter for any Chicago Sky, just updates. If I'm at the game, I'll try and put out updates during the game. So follow me at Quandary Kitten. that's K-W-A-N-D-A-R-Y, Kitten, on Twitter. b 4 that's my main Twitter handle, so you're going to get a lot of tweets about how the president's an idiot and how the government <laughs> is doing things horribly. But you're also going to get a lot of Chicago Sky content, too. And then, uh, you know, as as we've been in this this melting pot this season, just follow everybody. Like you mentioned, the Sky Show Shy, Eric Nemshock is a great resource.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, Greg Gardner, Howard Magdahl, all the people who are covering the WNBA and who are covering women's basketball. So follow all those people. Her Stats has been great for me. Uh, an article that I'm uh, working on that I want to publish at some point in the future about women's college ball and the divide between, say, the top 10 teams in a season and the rest of the top 25. But Her Who Stats is an indispensable resource, even though they only cover college stats. It's great to have. So, follow me, for sure. Read my writing. And I appreciate you, James, for bringing me on here. But follow everybody else. Everybody deserves a shot. And if we help each other out as media professionals, that's
0: going to increase the reach of the league. So. Yeah, Chris, I could not agree more, man. Seriously, it's I thank you for creating the content that you do. It's You know, most of these people don't get paid in the WNBA to create the content that they do. So really thank you uh, for the, the content that you've been coming out with this season, and thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks a lot, James. All the best to you. All right, have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Skyhook. As always, if you want to contact anyone involved with the show, you can always do so at theskyhookmailbag at gmail.com or you can tweet at me at my handle, which is James underscore M underscore K-A-Y or tweet at the show's handle on Twitter, which is at skyhookin. And if you missed the first half of the show or just you just got to tune in, um, because you're neglecting your work duties, you can always find the archive version of the show on Podbean or Apple Podcast by simply typing in the Skyhook Podcast in either of those search engines. Thank you so much for tuning into another edition of this show. And until next time, my friends.